Dissonance is a lack of harmony between music notes. But this Dissonance podcast, this is about the lack of harmony, empathy, and human emotion in one famous and horrible star. Howdy, hey! I'm so glad you're joining me today on this week's episode of Dissonance, a music and murder podcast. Listen, friends, if you joined me last week and you heard the story about Spade Cooley and you're just dying to know what happens, I'm so glad that you're here today because we're going to wrap up all of those loose ends of what happens to Spade Cooley. But first, I need to include a trigger warning. Warning. This podcast contains graphic descriptions of and or extensive discussion pertaining to abuse, especially sexual abuse and torture, and it may not be suited for all of our audience members, and you should listen at your own discretion. It's time to get out and ride a bike, guys. But which bike is right for you? Two Brothers Bicycle Company in Lewistown, Pennsylvania has a wide selection of new bikes from All City, Surly, and Harrow. They are a veteran-owned company that offers services for your existing bike and pre-owned bikes. From bike components to accessories and apparel, check out Two Brothers Bicycle Company on Facebook and at their website, www.twobrosbikeco.com. That's 2-T-W-O Bros bikecoco.com and you can check them out at their in-store at 624 Valley Street in Lewistown and thanks again for Two Brothers Bicycle Company for partnering with me on this episode now let's dive into our story today last week we left Speed Cooley in the year 1956 this is when uh, KTLA canceled Cooley's program and ended up replacing it with a competing show, which was Cliff Stone's Hometown Jamboree. But we're going to take a moment and go back in time here, about 10 years to 1945. So this is before Spade's career started going downhill. And he meets Ella Mae Evans, who is this hot bombshell, and he wants her to sing in his band and attract attention to, to what he's doing. He knows that sex sells, and so he's looking for somebody that has this look, okay? And while Ella Mae was described as just an okay singer, Speed just really loved her look. He consequently abandons and divorces his first wife, and he leaves his 11-year-old son, and he marries Ella Mae in that same year, 1945. Bobby Bennett, who was the manager for Cooley, was quoted saying, Quote, she has no voice, end quote, but she had the look, okay? And it, this is just funny to me because Bobby Bennett, uh, her being a female herself in this time um, in 1945 and being the manager for Spade Cooley is kind of a crazy thing with, within itself just in the time period, but Bobby's just like, seriously, she she sucks. So at this time, Ella May is 21 years old when they get married and he used to introduce her on stage as his, quote, the prettiest little filly in California, end quote. 
But her so-called budding music career is cut short when she just basically gets pregnant right away after they're married, and their first daughter, Melody, is born in 1946. Aw, Melody. Get it? I love that. Allegedly, while she's pregnant, or shortly after having Melody, Ella catches Spade having an affair, and she leaves him. He basically threatens to kill her if she doesn't come back. She runs away to Texas, but he ends up finding her and brings her back. It's just all a horrible show from the beginning with these two. It's a toxic relationship, and at this point, they're living in this grand mansion on Ventura Boulevard in L.A., and it seems like everything should be great, right? But money can't buy love. So it's boom, 1945, he marries Ella May. 1947, he was the host on the Hoffman Hayride, and it was estimated about 75% of the LA audience tuned in every Saturday night. 1949, he does more film work and westerns in Warner Brothers Presents Spade Cooley, the King of Western Swing, and Spade Cooley and his orchestra. But the early 1950s approach and Western Swing just isn't swinging anymore, okay? It's rock and roll time. Just like every trend, as hot as it came in, that's as quick as it left, you know? And of course, you're always gonna have those diehard fans out there that will listen to you for the rest of their lives, but for the most part, America has moved on, and now Speed Cooley is hurting for the fame, the work, the fortune. And as I said, his career's plummeting, his alcoholism is getting worse, and he suffers some minor heart attacks, basically from his lifestyle choices and just under the stress. In 1959, his orchestra dissolves. His show's been canceled. He's barely working. He starts to devote his time to this crazy idea of having a theme park or like an amusement park. He envisioned it, and he, he envisioned it as called Water Wonderland. Something along the lines of like a Disneyland kind of thing, which would have been flourishing at this time. He wanted to have like rides and swimming pools, but also a studio for broadcasting music and shows. So he buys hundreds of acres in the Mojave Desert to devote to this idea of building Water Wonderland. So by this time, he had millions of dollars in the bank, but he's kind of throwing it all at like the next big idea. He's the next big idea man. He's always on to the next money-making scheme, you know? So he buys all the land, and then he builds himself a house. I guess it's like a large, grand house, but it's super isolated. It's in the middle of bum-you-know-what Egypt. And he also has a studio for broadcasting, and it, like, within this whole area. But the idea eventually falls through and it it leaves him in complete financial ruin he basically sticks his wife and his kids by now him and ella may have two kids melody and donald jr in a house in the mojave desert okay it's willow springs california he's basically isolated his family in the desert while he's living a total separate life he continues continues to have multiple affairs his drinking is completely off the charts. Um, at this time, they there was some speculation that he was also doing some drugs in the form of pills, illegal pills. Uh, Spade was also said to never turn a girl down, like anyone. 
fan, fellow musicians, Buckle Bunnies, all of it. He's always, you know, trying to make himself feel good. He's feeding his ego. So by this time, he's he's older now. He's pretty much retired. He plays his last public concert on New Year's of 1960. So it's kind of over for him. 1961, LMA is hospitalized for, quote, extreme strain, end quote. So this is stress. And while she's in the hospital, she's telling the doctors and nurses about the abuse that she receives at the hands of her husband. She expressed fear that Spade was going to kill her. And while in the hospital, she calls a female attorney to start with the divorce proceedings. She's had enough. She also concocts a plan to set some money back a little bit so that she can be financially stable for when the time comes that she's going to leave Spade once and for all. It's not a bad idea. Spade finds out that basically LMA's been talking about him in the hospital and um, kind of exploiting his secrets of what he, what life is like really living with this, you know, fabulous star. So when she comes home from the hospital, he beats her some more for this in retaliation. So this is when things get slippery because not only is Speed Cooley a full-blown alcoholic, but he's also popping pills. We don't even know all what he's taking, but he is also becoming almost delusional at this point. And it's tough to say if this is driven all by his addictions or if this is actually a mental thing that he's dealing with, but he starts hyper-focusing on this idea that LMA, his wife LMA, is going to join or is joining a free love sex cult with these guys named Bud and Luther, who were water park business associates of Speed. And we're gonna get into that in a minute. March 17th, Speed Cooley, he files for a divorce. It's like he wants to beat LMA to it. He already knows that she's been talking to a attorney about a divorce and while she was in the hospital she was talking to like the nursing staff she was very vocal about her displeasure with him so he wants to beat her to it he files for divorce and plus he wants the kids full custody of both kids he filed and stated the reason for the divorce was quote incompatibility end quote he tells reporter reporters at one point they had gone to his house and he said he was outside of the house and he was said LMA moved out and I am just heart sick like please she didn't move out because he wouldn't let her he kept her like a prisoner in a jail in that home that was isolated in the Mojave Desert he forced her to sign property and money over to him and even messed with the phone lines so that she couldn't call out to anyone he is full-blown out of control. During one awful argument, Spade called a female violin player from his band and was like, hey, I'm getting a divorce tomorrow. So you want to marry me when, you know, I am. I'm divorced. And she thought he was kidding. was like, yeah, sure. It was said that Roy Rogers and LMA had had a brief sexual relationship or encounter, I guess, before she even met Spade years and years ago. 
but Spade had insisted that she was always having multiple affairs and that the whole thing with Rogers was still going on. She even told him, like, I slept with him, but a long time ago when we weren't even together. He is just always thinking she's out there having affairs when he's the one that's out there doing that. Ah, like guilty conscience much? He's full out psycho now, okay? He is just like everyone that runs into her. He's like, yeah, you're sleeping with him, aren't you? You're sleeping with him too, aren't you? He He's so insecure and he is so freaking crazy right now. I just can't, ugh, I can't even imagine, okay? Spade has enough personalities to keep LMA fully occupied. Leading up to the events of April 3rd, LMA had been stashing money away, okay? So she could leave Spade. She had help from Bud Davenport and Luther Jackson. So remember I told you that Spade thought that she was joining a free love sex cult with Bud Davenport and Luther Jackson. Really, these guys, they were supposed to take the money that she was sending them and invest it into stocks under their names. And then they were gonna help her whenever she was ready to leave him. But Bud and Luther were openly homosexuals. While Ella May was in the hospital for a beating from Cooley, she had a phone conversation with Bud, okay? Spade was like, ring, ring, trying to reach her. 45 minutes. And when he finally did, he was so mad. And he's like, who have you been talking to? Ella didn't tell him anything, okay? So he lies to her and says, well, I already know because I had the phone tapped. So Ella May, who at this point sort of believes him, but is also just kind of whatever, like over him and his psychoness, says, quote, well, so what? Now you know. End quote. She thinks that Spade has overheard her whole plan to stash away all this money with Bud and Luther. Spade thinks that Ella just confessed that she is joining that free love sex cult that he can't get out of his stinking head. So he thinks her saying, well, so what now? Now you know. That means like, yeah, you now you know I joined a free love sex cult, which was not true. Spade didn't really bug the phones. It was just a scare tactic. He's gaslighting her and trying to get her to talk and confess to whatever he thinks she's doing. She thinks maybe he really did tap the phones and, you know, yeah, so now you know I've been keeping money back to leave you. But he's taking this admission of a guilt. This is an admission of her guilt for having an affair. It's miscommunication, y'all. And it's a real problem. Cooley becoming increasingly paranoid and vile, he decides he's going to hire a PI to follow his wife around because he just thinks he's just, you know, I'm going to find out what she's doing. She can't hold anything back from me. So, He also wants to, there's another reason that he wants to do this because he's an asshole and he wants to try to see if the PI can dig up any kind of thing, any information, pictures, proof, whatever, that LMA's been having all these affairs so that it'll look better for him in the divorce proceedings and maybe he'll get full custody of the kids like he's been wanting. 
He's been sleeping around on her since their relationship started. I mean, hello. He left his first wife and his first, his son to be with you. So how, how, how does that happen? I, you don't think he's going to do it again? Okay. He's spinning out of control. He is questionably delusional, maybe even going through some kind of psychotic break. And I'm sure that all of the drugs that he's taking is not helping. And it all comes to a sad and boiling head the next day, April 3rd, 1961. Are you ready to support a veteran-owned business that won't break your wallet and can help you get in shape? Well, let me tell you about it. Two Brothers Bicycle Company, located at 624 at Valley Street in Lewistown, Pennsylvania, is a veteran-owned business that offers veteran discounts on bikes and accessories. They can fully service your bike, hook you up with a new bike. They also have refurbished options. Check them out for yourself at www.twobrosbikeco.com. That's www.2twobrosbikeco.com. You can also check them out at 624 in Valley Street in Lewistown, Pennsylvania, and on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you so much to Two Brothers Bicycle Company for sponsoring this episode, and let's get back into the story. April 3rd, 1961, Spade Cooley is a 54-year-old washed-up has-been that can't handle failure. He's a big drunk mess half the time, beating his wife mercilessly as they are fighting. This house is a mess. Around 4 p.m., Melody, his daughter, calls a neighbor. Her name is Mrs. McHorton, and she asked if she could spend the night there at her house. The neighbor said that she would be happy to have Melody and Donald Jr. over that night. So she extended the invitation to the younger boy as well. So Spade even gets on the phone and asks the neighbor if it's okay. And it's asking like, it's not an inconvenience, right? The neighbor reassured him that it wasn't a problem. And he said, quote, well, I needed this, end quote. This segment of the podcast, I'm going to read uh, a summary from justia.law.com in the People vs. Spade Cooley. I will put this link uh, to the website in the description box if you want to check it out for yourself. Quote, on April 3rd, 1961, the day of the homicide, Gerald L. Enfield, business associate of Spade Cooley, visited him at the ranch Spade Cooley informed him he now had proof of the victim's infidelity and produced a written confession which stated in her handwriting that she had gone to a motel with two men, Davenport and Jackson. Enfield looked at the confession and said, yes, it's Ella May's handwriting, Spade, but I know how you got it. Spade replied, what difference does it make as long as it's true? At 2 p.m., Russell Curson arrived at the ranch. At that time, a pickup truck was blocking one entrance of the Cooley Ranch, and there was a chain across the other entrance. Curson entered the home where he and Spade Cooley discussed business matters, particularly the drafting of a check for $2,000 and the payment of a debt owed to a Mr. Peterson. Shortly afterwards, L.C. Martin 
Spade Cooley's foreman, arrived. Kersen signed the payroll checks for the work crew. At that time, Spade was dressed in a striped shirt with shirt tails out, khaki trousers, and black boots. Spade, at Spade's request, Kersen left to purchase a bottle of whiskey. Kersen returned later in the afternoon, and he, Martin, and Spade each poured a drink. At 4 p.m., Melody telephoned from the McHorton home nearby, asking if she could spend the night there. Mrs. McHorton spoke to Spade Cooley and told him she would be happy to have Melody and her little brother Donald Jr. stay overnight with her own children. Spade asked if it would not be a great imposition. She replied that it would not, and Spade said, quote, well, I needed this, end quote. At 4.40 p.m., Chester Peterson, the contractor, arrived to collect his check for the $2,000. Kerson refused to sign a check in that amount, as checks of over $500 required the express approval of the board of directors of the corporation for which the work had been done. Spade Cooley thereupon became belligerent, made heated statements to Kerson, that his action was ruining Spade's reputation for paying bills promptly, finally shoved him, challenged him to a fight, and expelled him from the house. At about 5.30 p.m., Spade attempted to persuade Martin to accompany him to the trailer of Davenport and Jackson to watch him beat them. Peterson left about 5.30. Spade and Martin discussed certain projects under construction at the ranch, and at 5.35 p.m., Ella May walked into the room and sat down in a chair, separated from Spade's chair by a coffee table. She looked pale. Her left eye was black. Her hair was, quote, messy. She had no cuts under the chin, no cuts on the nose, and no other visible marks or bruises, and she appeared to be missing no hair on her head. Spade kept asking Martin in her presence to go with him to beat up Davenport and Jackson. But Martin would not. He left the ranch at 5.45 p.m. At 6 o'clock, Ella May called Melody and asked her to come home so she could explain to her, quote, what this was all about, end quote. Melody told her mother that she did not want to come home. Spade then took the phone and he said, I know, Melody, you don't want to see your mother. You don't want to see her, this old rep, do you? Melody replied that she did wish to see her mother. So, Spade told her to come on home. The girl asked Mrs. McCorton to drive her to the ranch, but to pick her up again no later than 20 minutes afterwards. So, at this point, Melody Melody knows that her parents have been fighting all day in the house and that it's been an absolute toxic place and all she wants to do is get out. And that is why she persuaded her dad to let her go and stay at a neighbor's house. But her parents, really, Spade, is so immature and so out of his mind that he is sort of threatening Melody and Ella Mae by saying like, you wanna come home and see your mom, right? Well, really what happens is that Spade made Ella May call Melody and tell her to come back because he wanted to use this as a form of torture to abuse both of them. 
When Melody gets back home, uh, Spade had been beating Ella in the living room and then the fighting had moved to the bedroom. It's allegedly in the bedroom is where this uh, incident finally ends. He beat and choked, kicked her and calling her awful names like a slut while yanking out massive amounts of hair and sexually violating her with a handle of a broom. And you think this can't get any worse, but it does. When Melody comes inside, she sees massive amounts of blood on the floor and on the walls and her dad is covered in blood too. They are not fighting at this point. Melody only sees that her mother is unconscious and her father is still fighting with her and abusing her. You would think a normal person would try to get her out of the house, but obviously he's not normal because normal people don't kill their wives. Instead, he says, quote, come here. I want you to see your mother, end quote. Almost like he's proud of it. The house is a wreck. Trash, broken glass, blood, everywhere. Awful, awful thing for a child to walk into. She goes to the bedroom because I'm sure that she's terrified of her own father. Ella May isn't in there though. He had moved her to the bathroom. She must have been in the shower. I'm not attempting to explain unrational behavior, but it comes out in the trial that he either knows at this point that he's done major damage to her and he's just being cruel with what is to follow, while others speculate he's so drunk and out of his mind he's not aware of what's happening. We think he put her in the shower after the initial beating to quote, wake her up. She's unconscious, but he per- puts her in there and he says, quote unquote, to wake her up. He says, quote, get up, LMA, Melody is here, end quote. She doesn't move. Her limp body still on the floor. He is acting like LMA is pretending to be unconscious or dead. Or at this point, he knows she is, and he's just an absolute monster. After he drags her, he picks her head up and slams it twice on the floor. These two blows are what is speculated to actually have killed her. He decides to make a sick, disgusting game out of it. He leaves Melody in the room and goes to the living room and he says, quote, Melody, I'll give you three minutes to get her up off the floor or I'll kill her if you don't get her up, end quote. He's in the living room giving a countdown for his daughter. One minute left, half a minute left. Melody, she's terrified. She's a victim in all of this and she's trying to lift her mother off the floor but she can't hoist her body. This is also from the case file on Coley at justia.law.com. The victim's body was covered with multiple bruises and abrasions. Her left eye was blackened, her nose bruised, her lips bruised and split. There were cracks on the chin, injuries to her neck, shoulder, chest, hip, arms, wrist, and legs. There was an abrasion on the right side of the right breast, the nipple was blackened and discolored and partially separated from the breast, end quote. Finally, he said, time's up, Melody. And he strode into the room with a rifle in his hand. He made his daughter sit down in a chair and said, quote, all right, Melody, you're going to watch me kill her, end quote. With that statement, he stamped the victim in the abdomen with his boot Contusions in the abdomen area indicate three 
applications of force, the stamping split the victim's abdominal aorta and the result was hemorrhaging, causing her death in approximately 20 minutes, in the opinion of one expert witness. After he stamped on her, Cooley stooped down by the victim and said, quote, we'll just see if you're dead, end quote. He called her a slut, and then he knelt down and touched the nipples of both of her breasts with his cigarette. Melody started to run, but Cooley grabbed her and said, quote, all right, I'll give you two more minutes to get her off the floor, end quote. Then the phone rang. Spade answered it and carried on a conversation. Then he returned to the bedroom and said, quote, come on, Melody, I won't touch her anymore, sexual wise, end quote. Cooley then took Melody into the living room, made her sit on his lap, kissed her passionately and touched her breast. He told her he was going to turn all this love over to her and Donald Jr. as their mother had, quote, crushed him. Melody remarked that she would turn off the shower. She basically um, is trying to get away, but she's scared, so she's being very smart about it and says, well, maybe I should turn off the shower. Spade told her to pour some water on LMA. She did pour water on her mother's chest. As from the rattling sound she heard coming from her mother's throat, she feared that she would drown her if she bathed her face. It was at this time the telephone rang and it was William Lewis or Billy Lewis, the PI that Cooley had hired to track down his wife. Basically, Cooley wants the PI to help him find some evidence of her affairs for the divorce proceedings. And while they are talking, Billy says something like, quote, hey, is she around? Can she hear us? End quote. Cooley replies, quote, no, not at all. End quote. So while he's on the phone, Melody is looking for the neighbor that she told to hang around. Remember, she said, like 20 minutes, hang around and come back and get me. Melody says to Spade, I think I see her out there. And, you know, we don't really want her to come into the house. And Spade's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. So she kisses him on the cheek like a good daughter that she's trying to be because she does not want him to lash out on her. And she's running out of the house and he calls after her saying, quote, Melody, don't tell the police anything. If you do, I might have to kill you, end quote. Melody thinks she may have heard a gunshot from the rifle as she was running. So she hides behind a horse trailer and then runs to Mrs. McCorton's home. But she was met by the neighbor coming to get her. She was crying hysterically, but gave a full account to the neighbor what she had just witnessed. Thank God she got out of there, and thank God for this sweet neighbor being a shelter of safety for her and for her brother during this awful day. Back at home, Spade is trying to clean up some of the blood. Later in the evening, his manager, Bobby Bennett, shows up, and she's going to go over some business things with Spade. She was accompanied by another man named Ed, and the three were talking business. Cooley just acts like everything that he just did didn't happen. He doesn't say anything about Ella during the business meeting, but he does get up and goes back into the bedroom on one occasion to look at his wife. He comes back out then and tells Bobby Bennett that she was hurt 
and Bobby is like, call someone, dumbass. She urged him to call a doctor, but he refused. Instead, he had Bobby call to the nurse in LA at 9 p.m. Bobby said that Ella had an accident and that they were, that the nurse was needed at the ranch. The nurse was like, well, if she's really that bad, you guys need to just call the ambulance. Duh. But no one calls 911. The nurse shows up. Her name is Dorothea Davis. And this is around 11 p.m. that night. So it's been hours, y'all. By this time, Ella is in bed, covered. They had picked her up off the floor. She's in bed and they covered her up to the chin with a blanket. And the nurse is like, yeah, she's dead. You should probably call that ambulance now. They take her to the hospital and the doctors even talk to Cooley, who is not remorseful, they say. Other accounts say when they when help did arrive, he was crying and saying she can't really be dead. While being interviewed at the hospital, he says he may have hit her once or twice, but all the other injuries were from jumping out of a moving car, probably to get away from him, and from her falling in the shower that same evening. Sure. Sure. He is arrested and charged with first-degree murder. He has more than fiddle calluses on his hands now, y'all. He has blood on his hands. The DA is named Kit Nelson in this trial, and Cooley's attorney is P. Basil Lambros. During this time, Cooley had, like I said, several minor heart attacks, and he kept having them, and just general failing health, so his trial was delayed. But he pleads not guilty by reason of insanity. However, three psychologists deemed him sane to stand trial. The trial is in Bakersfield, California. How many of you have walked the streets of Bakersfield? Kit Nelson calls 24 witnesses, including Melody. And what a brave girl. While Cooley kept claiming he didn't have, quote, conscious recollection, end quote, of any of the events of that night. But Melody was soon going to clear all of those details up for him when she testified. was initially walking into the house. Quote, he was real sweaty and he had blood spots on his pants. He put down the phone and said, come in here. I want you to see your mother. She's going to tell you something. He took a hold of my arm and took me into the den. The shower was running in the bathroom. Mother was in the shower. He opened the door and said, get up. Melody's here. Talk to her. He grabbed her by the hair and dragged her into the den with both hands. She was undressed. He banged her head on the floor twice. He called her a slut. She couldn't move. She seemed unconscious. He turned back to mother and said, We'll see if you're dead. Then he stomped her in the stomach with his left foot. He took a cigarette, which had he had been smoking, and he burned her twice. End quote. In the middle of her testimony, Spade Cooley faints. Dramatic? Meh. Or is it health issues? I mean, none of us really know. The PI said that Spade had hired him to spy on his wife and build a strong divorce case. He testified, too, stating that he had found no evidence that Ella May was having an affair. 
Another witness was the nurse, Dorothy Davis. Dorothy was also a, quote, family friend, whatever that means. She talked about Ella telling her things about an affair with Roy Rogers and how Ella had confessed to her, saying in 1952 or in 1953 she had had a sexual relationship with him. Even Dorothy said that she didn't believe Ella May when she told her. She said she was under a lot of stress and she wasn't thinking clearly. Spade Cooley refers to Roy Rogers in the testimony as his ex-best friend. Ooh, burn. I don't think Rogers cares. This trial is highly publicized. All of the weird muddled delusions of Cooley are spewed for all of L.A. to see. He talked about his sureness that she was joining a free love sex cult, and he even made a few homophobic comments about his business associates, Bud and Luther, that LMA had been conspiring to save money for her. He tried to spin everything in his favor for this trial, of course. When questioned about his torturous moves, like burning her nipples, he explained it away. He said LMA did it to herself. Yeah, right. He said, she yelled, quote, now you think I don't love you, don't you, end quote. She took his cigarette and said, quote, I'll show you how much I love you, end quote. He testified that saying this, she opened her blouse and burned herself on the breast. He said that she had fallen in the shower, quote, she went in there alone. I didn't push her or shove her, end quote. He claims he then heard a terrible thud and went to check on her. Upon investigation, he realizes she has hit her head, and he said he nursed her and wrapped her in a towel, and he even prayed for her. We know that's not how it went down. You can't explain away Melody's testimony. Oh, but he tried. He said she just made all of that up because she was mad at me, and I wouldn't let her date older boys. Kit Nelson described this whole killing in the best way. He called it, quote, murder by torture. That's exactly what he did. He tortured his daughter as well. The whole trial goes on for a month. And after 19 hours of deliberation, he is found guilty. Thank God. August 19th, 1961, he is convicted. He's sent to California State Prison in Vacaville, I think it's called. But who even cares? Because he's out of here. His health is still really poor at this time. He decides against his legal counsel to withdraw his sanity plea. And the judge rolls life in prison, basically, because of that. And while he's serving time, he is said to be a model prisoner. That he found God and that he is making fiddles in the prison shop. He was later recorded as stating, quote, there can be no excuse for beating someone, end quote. So some speculated that he was a new man in prison. Ronald Reagan, for God knows what reason, some say he knew Cooley from his acting career in California. He recommends Cooley for parole and the California Parole Board and his parole date is set for his 60th birthday, okay? They actually, they actually let him out on parole. It's disgusting. 
And it's supposed to be February 22nd, 1970. Happy birthday, I guess, asshole. Four months before his release, November 23rd, 1969, he's granted a three-day furlough to play a benefit concert in Oakland, California. Around 3,000 people were in the audience, and he played a great show. In between the show segments, he goes backstage with his fiddle in his hand, and his adrenaline is just pumping. He's probably feeling the most alive that he has felt in years. And even better for Spade, Ronald Reagan had just pardoned him, but he didn't know it yet. They were planning on telling Cooley all of about the pardon after his show. So while he's waiting to go out for the rest of his show, he says to someone like in the wings, I think like this is going to work out for me. Quote, I have a feeling today is the first day of the rest of my life. End quote. And with that, his fiddle dropped from his hands and he collapsed in a massive heart attack that killed him instantly. And thus Spade Cooley finds his eternal resting place, hopefully in hell. They never had a chance to tell Spade about his presidential pardon. He had a heart attack before he was even given the news. Spade Cooley is buried in Oakland, California, and Ella Mae Evans is buried in Oakdale Memorial Park in Glendora, Los Angeles County, California. One of Spade Cooley's best-known songs, the one that he was always remembered for, Shame on You. I'm going to read you some of the lyrics. Shame on you, shame on you. Gave my heart as a token. When returned, it was broken. Hide your face. Shame on you. Shame, shame on you. Shame, shame on you. Took my car and my money. Done me wrong and that ain't funny. Woe is me and shame on you. You'll find out who was to blame. Dern your hide, shame on you, shame, shame on you. Tried to lie when I got wise, foolish girl, shame on you. In that moment of Spade Cooley taking Ella May's life, do you feel like he had a conscious recollection? Do you think that he really knew what he was doing? Do you think him fainting in the courtroom after hearing his daughter's testimony was an actual visceral reaction to what he had heard? Or was it just part of the story he was trying to tell? Tell me what you think. Head over to the Dissonance Facebook page to let me know. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Shame on you, the conclusion of the Spade Cooley story. Please tune in next week, and I will be introducing you to a new uh, star, as we'll call it. And we'll see what happens in that person's life. We know it's on Dissonance Podcast, so it can't be good. Thanks so much for listening, and thank you again to Two Brothers Bicycle Company, located at 624 at Valley Street in Lewistown, Pennsylvania, for sponsoring this episode. Check them out on Facebook, Instagram, and at twobrothersbikeco.com. That's twobrothersbikeco.com. 